Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This holiday season, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation delivers on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices America's greatest heroes have made for us with their annual season of hope. Between Thanksgiving and New Year's Eve, the foundation will deliver mortgage-free homes to dozens and dozens of America's catastrophically injured veterans, fallen first responder families, and Gold Star families. Bring hope to heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. Welcome into another brand new episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. It's Kelsey and DJ joining you as always. And guys, it has been a fantastic week. We got back on ColorCast this week for some crazy games, and we have even more coming up this next week. But DJ, what has been your take from these last couple weeks of sports? We have the full run of things, and even NHL is coming back already. You know how they talk about like things like what would the what would the name of the last thing if the last thing you ate was the name of a movie title what would it be if the if the last week in sports was going to get a movie title it'd be the good the bad and the ugly that's pretty much how I describe it so far this week as well too I know that's kind of a catchphrase we have around here at this point but it's honestly been the best way to describe it those some of those games we call were fantastic the Monday night game had some outstanding people tuning in that was great the the college football with App State and Marshall as well we got a good one with. Arkansas and Georgia, two top seven teams as well, too, going out in the SEC. It's going to be a great week. And then, of course, the Brady returning to the Bucks, which we're going to talk about a lot on Sunday and a little bit on our fourth and fourth show. But right now, there's a lot going on sports, good, bad, and ugly. And we got a ways to go still. Yeah. And before we get into the ugly, because that's what's going to take us off in the tip off, we do have to say on Sunday, we, we are going to be doing the Brady return to New England. And there's actually a special moment there. We're actually going to be giving away a Tom Brady jersey to one special listener. All the details you'll be able to find in our social medias on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we'll have a whole little post about that. And that's thanks to ColorCast, by the way. Shout out to ColorCast, guys. You guys haven't checked it out already. What are you doing by now? We're, we we love ColorCast so much. Uh, you know, it's, it's really where we do some of our best work at this point in time, I feel like. Um, but that leads us into the good, the bad, the ugly. And we're going to start with the ugly on our tip-off. DJ, go ahead and get us started. Well, as always, the tip-off is brought to you by Dr. Squatch Soap. Smell like a man, feel like a champion. All natural soaps, no harsh chemicals, good on your skin. Still got some of that Star Wars soap, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Get that while it lasts as well, too. And honestly, you're going to need it after reading that story, which is our tip-off about John Jones and that incident with him. You're going to want to get some of that soap to wash off, wash it off afterwards because it is very grimy and gross and just, oh, it's absolutely, I hate talking about it. And we're a few days removed from when it first broke, too, as well, too. So we've had time to let it kind of sit, simmer a little bit. It's not a whole lot of instant reaction. I'll go ahead and just say a heads up for anybody who does have a possible trigger warning to these types of situations. These th- What we're about to talk about does include some domestic violence issues and uh, alcohol abuse issues as well. So just 
a heads up just before we get into it, just in case those are something that you might be, you might have a background with and you might trigger you. We just want to give you a fair warning before we get into it. So you can go ahead and skip ahead uh, about five, 10 minutes and we'll be done with this. Skip ahead to the 20 minute mark and we'll be done with this conversation if, the, if these are something that trigger you. Absolutely. And I will be sure to try and not get too graphic with it as well, too. But basically, the gist of it is John Jones was in Las Vegas for his fight with Alexander Gustin being inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. And literally just hours after that, police came to a uh, came to a hotel where him, his wife and his kid or his fiance, excuse me, and kids were staying at. And basically he was arrested on for a domestic potential domestic violence issue as well, too. I'm not 100 percent on the charges, so I don't want to be too damning on that one. But there was also accused of headbutting the police car with his head and denting the vehicle, which is a felony in Las Vegas. But among some of the things they're saying, the girl, the fiance had some blood coming from her lip and on her clothes. And at one point, the children, when they were talking to security, even said, can you call the cops? And then John's John Jones was obvious. The report says he's very agitated, getting very not physical, but a tension with some of the officers, too. And even at one point joking, like, I bet I could take all of you guys at once. And he said, I would like to see. Let me see. He would like to take us all on and see what we could do. Basically implying like, I will fight all of you guys right here, right now. And they joke that he could escape the handcuffs and all that sort of thing before being told you'll get tased. And then he was quiet. Basically it's another, another chapter in the John Jones book. And this one, honestly, probably as bad, if not worse than just about anyone. I mean, domestic violence charges is that's, that's not something played with as well too. And Kelsey, we've talked about John Jones. If he, his biggest enemy has been himself, one of the most decorated UFC fighters ever, but I'm going to say right here, right now, the UFC, they have to basically, they can't let him fight again. This has to be the final straw at some point, especially if he does get indicted. If he does get indicted, he's already being charged, but if he is found guilty on all these, he's back in court later next next month. But I think he has to be, if he gets like found guilty of this, you have to let him go. Yeah, and, and just to be clear on the charges, he was arrested on charges of domestic battery and damaging a vehicle, according to the reports. Um, and that does include that, as you said, the headbutting of the vehicle. Uh, at one point in time, he also threatened to sue police for arresting him on the biggest night of, of his life during all of that other stuff that you were mentioning, him taunting kind of the cops and everything. Yeah, this is uh, I, like John Jones, like for all of the positives he he brought into the sport of uh, of UFC and, and MMA fighting in general, there are so many negatives and setbacks here. I mean, literally, DC's legacy is tarnished by John Jones. And that's a sad thing to say because DC is one of the finest UFC fighters to ever exist. And yet he still has a tarnishment on his record because of all the John Jones issues. And like, it's not just John Jones that's messing up John Jones's future. John Jones is messing up the entire UFC at this point in time. And if you're Dana White, I mean, I got to be honest I, and say, I, if I'm Dana White, as much as I love money as Dana White does, there's no way, there is no way he exists past this week on a UFC contract, period, point blank. He's He's gone in my eyes. I, I don't think there's a way you can keep him after all this. And I know with all that said, uh, his fiance is not re- filing charges. She's not filing a protective order or anything like that. So from her standpoint, as you said, it wasn't from him that these things happened. But again, how much of that is true? How much of that is in fear? I don't know. I'm not going to speculate on that, but the fact is of what he was charged on. And as, as you said, if he's guilty of any of this, this is horrific. And this adds to a long list of things that he has had issues with. We talk about 2012 DUI and when he wrapped his Bentley around a pole in Binghamton, arrested in 2015 for a hit and run in New Mexico. With a pregnant uh, which, woman too. Yeah, when which a pregnant woman arm was broken. 
Uh, and let, and was, fleeing the scene of this crime before running back, grabbing some weed and money, and then taking off, allegedly with the weed and money thing, but returning to the scene and then running back off again. Absolutely. And then he pleaded no contest to disorder to a disorderly conduct disorderly conduct in 2019 after being accused of unwanted contact by a waitress at an Albuquerque strip club and was later arrested in 2019 for drunk driving and negligent use of a firearm. And this is all on top of his substance abuse issues that have led to multiple ban- multiple suspensions in UFC like at what point in time is enough enough like I know UFC is it's when you think of fighting you don't think of a very clean cut fighter it's the hurt business like it's the hurt business the feelings are one of the many things getting hurt but this there's a line somewhere this has to be pretty damn close like if you're if you're trying to run a legitimate professional organization like and this is supposed to be one of your faces of your organization because think about how much of a draw he had up until this point. I mean, really, anytime John Jones's name was mentioned on a card, that was instantly, oh, that's a moneymaker. That's that's a that's a seven-figure-plus money-making card. And then now it's like, do you want that content? Really? Do you want everything else he brings? Is is the money worth it at that point in time, Dana, is, is my big question. And looking at it, too, and just kind of say she's not technically filing any of them as well, too, could be fear. She did. There is part of the report that says she still seemed very scared as the release of John from jail and even asked how long do I have till he has out, which he has bonded out, as by the way, as well, too. So this I don't know when I hear stuff like that, too. It's very damning. It is not very good to hear at all. I agree with you, like at minimum, the very minimum, he should be suspended and not allowed to compete until this plays out. Let it play out, maybe to see what happens as well, too. And then maybe after that, you suspend him. If he is found guilty or anything like that, I cutting the cord. He is done. That's fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me eighteen times. Well, shoot. At some point, you just gotta gotta cut a man loose, quote unquote. If this was the NFL per se, we saw it happen with Kareem Hunt, and they got released and eventually came back. Which obviously Ray Rice, for example, he's never been brought back as well. To Kareem Hunt had the luxury of being like twenty three when that happened, which he had plenty of career left once he served his time. John Jones is in his thirties now, so. He might still get a chance after the suspension, but it's also apples to oranges because the NFL has multiple leagues. It's one league with multiple teams, multiple potential options, multiple owners. This is just one overall league, that sort of thing. So I'm personally, I am suspending him right now. He is not competing until this plays out. And depending on how it results and plays out, this would, this might be the last time he ever fights for me if I was running the UFC. But I'm also not the owner so uh, or anyone who makes those decisions. So shame on me either way. But Anyone who wants to look at more details on this, we don't want to get too much into it for, as Kelsey mentioned, the warnings as well, too. Feel free to go look it up. It's all over the internet now as well, too. You can go find it. We won't get too much into it. When you probably know about it by now. I mean, it's been four or five days. And and I just have one last piece for this before we do let it go. And DJ, I just want to get your opinion on this because I'm going to give my opinion as well. Uh, on his Instagram post on Tuesday night addressing the whole thing, he says, I have way too much trauma to consume alcohol. My brain simply can't handle it anymore. I will leave alcohol in my past forever. One of the other quotes says, turn this nightmare into the best thing to ever happen in my life. Also has one that says, now is the time to work harder than ever. What the devil means for bad, for bad, God, God means for good. I get right back on my horse. All things that you, you, you were posted in, in the background, the song, by the way, playing was You've Got a Friend in Me, uh, the old Toy Story intro. Um, look, what's your, first of all, let me get your take before I give mine, but what's your take on on the post? How do you How do you read that and be like, Maybe this isn't like, it, can you read that and be like, well, maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be, or is there, is this still kind of like something you're like, you got to handle this better. I'm going to start by saying I'm mad that he tainted the toy story song. How dare he at this point too? Like you keep that completely out of this one. That, that song is precious and we don't need it with this kind of stain on it. We're going to start there first of all. And next of all too, when I look at it, it's like, 
So what happened the last seven times something like this happened as well, too. I mean, this is not your first rodeo. I mean, most people who have one, maybe two alcohol endeavors like this, either they learn or they never learn at this point. You normally will learn after one or two. If someone has a driving or intoxicator, public intoxication and go has to serve for that, they will learn it or they will never learn. They're not going to take however many times this has been to. And these are just it's it's the same old song dance. He will never really change. He's it's the weird thing is what's made him such a great fighter has also made his life kind of a mess outside is he thrives in chaos. Basically when his life is chaotic, when he was at his best as a fighter, but is now coming home to roost outside of fighting as well, too. He would party all the time while training. And that's what gave him an edge and made him basically, he was like, so I always have an excuse if something happens and that almost freed him up when he was in the cage. If that makes sense. It's the weirdest thing. Like just some guys are built for chaos and that's how he was as well, too, to the point of this is going to, to quote to quote Game of Thrones, if you think this story has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. He can say all the right things as he's done a thousand times over as well. He said it going to the second DC fight. He said it bouncing back from that suspension. Said it going up to heavyweight right now. And there's a whole lot to it. And I'm going to add on to this before we jump in on your take on that specifically. One thing to note too is he's been bulking up, quote unquote, to get to heavyweight. Said he's up to 257 or so pounds, closing trying to get to 270. You don't just normally get that big without getting fat. Like it is especially when you've been working out and you're a true athlete like he has his whole life without pharmaceutical enhancements, you're probably not getting that big naturally if you're going to be pure muscle without getting fat. So I'm obviously not one to speculate or say that he is on something. He has not busted recently, so it's not my spot, but maybe some pharmaceutical rage could have been part of this as well too. I mean, I won't get too deep into that because it's not my area of expertise, nor is it my place to judge or say it has happened, but it is some food for thought as well too. But Kelsey, I'll go and get your take on this as now. He mentions trauma in here, and obviously, as you said, his best fight times were when he was in in chaos. I also want to take that trauma moment and look into the mental side of this. How many times has this man been punched in the face and in the head over his career? Like, no duh, you should never be drinking alcohol. I feel like this goes into a a UFC fight con. This should go into a UFC fighter's contract. Like, you literally get punched in the face a million and a half times in two years. (laughs) You shouldn't be drinking alcohol because of how it mixes with all of the other things that you have going on in your head, namely potential CTE. And when I say potential, I mean you are literally at a 95% chance of CTE as a fighter, especially a UFC fighter. Who's been doing it as long as he has, too. I mean, he was a UFC champion at 23. Like That's that's a long history of basically bashing, getting your head bashed. Yeah, and so like I think there's like a whole aspect to this that needs to be addressed by the UFC as an organization where they need to take – like. They need to take some onus in this. Like there's there's they are responsible for the John Jones roller coaster we've seen over the last seven years to to some degree. I'm not saying they are fully responsible. They are all but they are partially responsible for allowing this guy to be under contract with them without stipulations. Like they have no issue putting stipulations on many of their other fighters. But in this case with John Jones, it feels like it's kind of been let him go and then see what happens because it's great for the show, right? And and this is this is just the one where I look at it and this is just too far. And then the post, I'm just like, this is it. You can't play the victim card after this. Like yeah. you, you, the victim card without like, obviously alcoholism is real. And I'm not saying anything against that, but to, this feels like a well-meditated victim card play as well too, considering how many times we've been through this before. Like this was clockwork at this point. Like this, this was on your bingo card. This is the one thing since 2020 started that you could put on your bingo card and be right. Everything else is a surprise, but this was the one you could clock in. Yeah, 100%. This is like, I looked, I literally, I, I, as I was even reading this out to you, I was still, I was cringing because it's like, 
this just looks like a a, a guy who is well rehearsed in 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 PR for his own safety sake, you know, like for for covering his own Im image, and that's what this looks like. And I'd say it that way, but that's just uh, that that's my take from it. I, I this this feels like the boy who cried wolf too many times. Absolutely as well, too. And he was on the horizon for some really great things to move it up to heavyweight, possibly a huge fight with Francis and Gondo in the future. Like there were some big things coming, but at this point, I don't even know if I want to see him. Like if it gets announced in like two years or something, we'll see. But like right now, it's like, just don't let him fight right now. Let this thing play out first. Like don't, don't reward him for this as well. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner well if that makes sense but that's enough of this negativity we got some we got some good and some some highs and some lows to talk about if you will the good and the bad of the good and the bad and the ugly if you will hmm. but that's right that leads us into our three highs three lows section of the main event which is brought to you by swift lifestyle if you guys haven't checked out swift lifestyle yet go and do so link is in our bio link is in all of our bios actually for every single social media it is a healthy alternative for all your energy drinks basically you use, it is an energy drink but it's a powder you put it in a cup drink water just like a pre-workout if anybody has, has experience with those which if you're listening to us you probably have experience with pre-workout uh, as dj has, has mentioned many times it, it gives you all of the boosts with none of the jittery after effects which is part of the part of it being extra healthy for you and one of the only healthy ones on the market um so that is actually good as well and while you're there at swiftlifestyles.com go ahead and insert the code high low sports and you get 15% off of your order. So definitely do that. And it helps us out of the podcast, every order you guys have there. And uh, also, I'm a big fan of the neurotropic uh, gummies they have. Uh, this definitely definitely a big a big advantage for me. As I'm getting older, I feel my brain going a little bit faster than, it, than I, I feel like it should. And it helps keep me keep me focused and keep me on, talk, on, on topic. So uh, definitely go check them out, guys, when you get the opportunity. But today's three highs, three lows. DJ, let's go ahead and let you get started out with your three highs and three lows. Give us your first high and your first low. All right, we're gonna start out with a really easy high. We're gonna go with the Los Angeles Rams. Three and O, top of the NFC right now, if I'm not mistaken as well too. Top of the, tied at the top of the NFC West with the Cardinals as well. What they've had, they've, I had them as my Super Bowl team before the season we did our predictions. I, I, knew, I figured that we'd see some of this stuff later in the season once Matthew Stafford got acclimated. You and I are huge Matthew Stafford guys going back to Georgia, honestly. It was get him out of the Lions or Lions figure this out somehow. And my goodness, the second he gets out of there, he is putting on an absolute clinic. I mean, we saw again, we his like third pass with the Rams against the Bears is a 50-yard bomb to Van Jefferson rolling to his left. Against the Colts, he did a team that's not very good right now obviously but he put on him he it was a close game and he made what you needed to do to win him and cooper cup cooper cup's always been good going back to eastern washington when he broke all thousands of records in his four years but he looks he looks like the best receiver in football right now obviously that's a job for another day but he is absolutely fantastic and the coach and the joke his coach made with him the first guy never tackles you does he cooper like he's never tackled by the first guy if it's one-on-one -on -one. like he's robert woods is fantastic we haven't even seen a whole lot of him yet Deshaun Jackson is now still skating by people for 75 yards, which if you listen to fourth and four, you heard DJ tell you to put him on your fantasy flex spot if you need it. And you got it probably about 20 points to pay down if it's a PPR league or not. So tune in the fourth and four for all your fantasy and betting needs. A little <laughs> shameless plug there as well, too. 
And then the Rams, they still got the defense. You still got Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald. They can still get after it. Sure, Brady put up 400 passing yards on him, but he had trouble getting, they had trouble getting to the end zone. That defense can clamp down when needed. So the Rams look like the favorite out of the NFC and not quite how I predicted them to be it. I mean, I still had them as a Super Bowl pick. I didn't think this is how it was going to be right away. I thought they'd start a little slow and then pick up steam at the end. But right now they they look – find me a better – the team that looks better than Put any of the other 3-0 and teams up against them. The Broncos, they wipe the floor with the Broncos. The Cardinals, that's probably a shootout, but I think they have just a little bit more firepower and a little bit better defense. Who else is 3-0 and off the top of my head? I'm just struggling to think. The Raiders, that's probably a really fun match with Derek Carr and Stafford going head-to-head, but I'm going to favor the Rams because Aaron Donald's going to eventually get through. I mean, what other three and O teams am I missing here? Like, I'm pretty Those sure the they only get ones that really I feel like can hold a hold a candle right now to to the Rams, and even that's being nice. Exactly. Like, I don't because oh yeah, the Panthers. I almost forgot about the Panthers, but they're going through some injuries right now, and I think the Rams are going to wipe the floor with them, even though the Panthers are climbing. And we talked about them being good in a year. They might have just beat us by a year. Honestly, we thought they'd be this good next year, but they seem to have jumped the gun. But the Rams look clear and far away the best team. The Buccaneers were arguably the best team after two weeks with the Rams not far behind. And the Rams won that game even more comfortably than the scoreboard really says. And that third quarter, they broke away. So for me, the Rams continue to be the highest of highs. We'll see if they can maintain it. That is the question. Sean McVay has never lost a game when he's leading at halftime. They are now 40-0 when he's leading at halftime, which is absolutely blasphemous. How can you not just choke once? I don't understand like how you managed to do that in your years. And now you have Matthew Stafford, who is a gamer and could be considered – one of the better quarterbacks of the generation, if only he had more talent to do it with. I mean, when he had his best talent, he threw for 5,000 yards and 41 touchdowns and got him in the playoffs. 100%. Like, like the be- Matthew Stafford is that dude. The best tweet I saw from the weekend was, thank you, Lions, for hiding Matt Stafford for, for, for the rest of the league and not letting him damage the rest of the league for the last 10 years. We appreciate it. Signed the rest of the NFL. That was, the hands down, the best, the best tweet to sum up how Matt Stafford's season has begun so far. Exactly. And, you know, who thanks him the most is Tom Brady. Because Matt, that looks like a guy who could stop Tom Brady from winning a couple of Super Bowls if he had any sort of a squad around him as well. I'm not saying he wins a bunch of Super Bowls or anything like that, but he looks like a dude that could have got in the way. So, you know, who definitely thanks him is Eli Manning and his two rings. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe they don't get there if there's a Stafford in the way as well, too. I mean, and Aaron Rodgers as well, too. It's like, thank goodness the Lions are that bad. Because imagine if you had to deal with Stafford with a squad every single year. He's even been, he's been vocal the last handful of years. Like, Stafford is that dude. Like he is yeah. what Patrick Mahomes is right now without his system, basically. I think that's fair to say the amount of no look passes, rolling to the left, right, flicking at 50 yards. Like Stafford was doing that, just nobody cared because he was throwing it to nobody and losing 40 to 15, unfortunately. He was in the he was in the desolate wasteland that is Ford Field. Exactly. And may, hopefully they could turn it around. I kind of like Campbell's head coach. He's grown on me a little bit since his breaking kneecaps comments. And they've been competitive in their 0 and threes. I mean, took 65 yards from Justin Tucker. I mean, that. Hopefully the lines are 66. turning around 66. 66 yards with that hop step as well, too, off the top off the bar, but with, like, with a delay of game at the same time. Absolutely. <laughs> just so hopefully the lines are turning around just so no one else has stuff that, but for me, the Rams are my first high. I, what a wow. Just wow. That's all I can say about them right now. And then for the lowest of lows, there's a lot of lows I want to get into, but I'm going to stick with the simple one first so we can get to you quicker. Cause I feel like I've been talking a lot. We're going to look at the Jaguars, urban Meyer. You're this team was already lost 15 in a row. And now it's like 18 in a row, if I'm not mistaken. They look terrible. Trevor Lawrence, I know we knew he was going to struggle a little bit. He's they are they have the most turnovers. He has like eight turnovers through these couple of games. He had four against Denver, if I'm not mistaken. Like it's been it's been brutal for him. And I I feel for Trevor, but at the same time, he's never lost a regular season game up until this point. So he's he'll be fine. But Urban Meyer, you're running this team that's already into the ground, farther into the ground. 
like the, some of the offseason moves they did, we questioned them trying to hire Doyle's a strength and conditioning coach just to let him go like a week, two weeks later when you hit the backlash. Drafting Travis Etienne with your second first round pick when you have a thousand other holes and now he's out. Sticky Trevor Lawrence out there with limited help. It's basically DJ Shark or bust. James Robinson's okay running back, but he didn't address the O line. Jaguars are an absolute mess. They the only game I feel like they're going to win this year is when they play the Colts in Jacksonville, just because that's the one they seem to win every year at this point. But it what they're doing is just an absolute mess. It's hard. They're not. They don't even look competitive anymore. I mean, I know you had some moments against the Cardinals. You even had the lead after that 109 yard kickoff return. But even then, when the Cardinals had their worst performance of the of the year, you lost 31 to 19. Like even with a 109 yard kickoff return at the end of a half that nearly put Gus Johnson in the hospital, you lost by double digits. Like I. Gosh, the Jaguars are an absolute mess. And I, it kind of, I hate to say it, but it looks like it's going right up to that guy who looks the next USC head coach, Urban Meyer. Yeah, look, hey, I've said about Urban Meyer for a long time now, once he got the job in, in Jacksonville. Is that the right guy? Because I don't feel like he can run an organization like you need him to. He can run a, a program and because he has full control, but he cannot, I, I feel like he just cannot run an NFL team because he won't ever have that exact exacting full control. And honestly, these guys are in it for the business. Uh, and, you know, Urban Meyer kind of doesn't do well with business decision type of guys. Like, these are grown um, men. These aren't kids, too. Like, you know, they, they're not some of the stuff you say, it's like, we have mortgages. That doesn't work here. Exactly. So, I think actually, I'm going to start with my first high being actually their opponent this weekend on Thursday night. So, tonight is actually the Bengals. I'm going to start with the Bengals as a high. And I mentioned it on fourth and four. You know, you had your shameless plug for fourth, fourth and four. This is my shameless plug for fourth and four. And by the way, I've been correct on both Bengals Island picks so far this season and both of their wins. So go figure. Wait, you weren't uh, oh, sorry. One, uh, one Island pick and one non-Island pick. Okay. I say, hold on. Now I picked the Bengals too. Don't you take yeah. this away from me. Yeah. Now. Sorry. We, we had it. We had a joint Hilo sports Island pick for the <laughs> Bengals at one point in time. So, uh, but look, they, they just beat the Steelers as well. Uh, two and one on the season. Joe Burrow went 14 of 18 in the last game, three touchdowns and a pick. But look, this, this, this receiving core plus Joe Mixon, it's a quartet of absolute weapons. And then you add in CJ Uzoma as well, who is just, again, finally back healthy. Joe Burrow has a absolute fantastic, like, buffet of weapons to throw to. He has Jamar Chase's speed. Who could, literally, we'll just say Jamar Chase is the guy that can do it all from the slot. Literally, that's the best way I can put it. He will burn you over the top. He will run a slant past you. He will hit a post uh, if you need him to. Um, hit a wheel route on the outside, hit those switch routes, everything. He'll do it all. And then the most probably maligned one, the one that probably gets forgotten the most, is Tyler Boyd. Uh, by the way, had four catches, 36 yards for a touchdown. Just adds to his pretty good season so far. A guy that's probably going to be your third option overall because T. Higgins didn't play th- in this last game. But let's not forget, T. Higgins, by the way, another guy who is just a fantastic option, who him and Joe Burrow already showed in season one their level of chemistry. And it's just grown again this year. I mean, hit, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins had the same amount of targets through the first two weeks. Uh, that's insane to think about. Jamar Chase is obviously the big hitting one. T. Higgins is kind of the throw it up and get you the first down yardage. And it's creepy how much this reminds me. We talked about it when they drafted Jamar, Jamar Chase, how much this kind of reminds you of Chad Ochocinco, Chad Johnson, and T.J. Hushmanzada, that combination in Cincinnati. Well, now you're adding in another T.J. Hushmanzada on the other side, which is Tyler Boyd, and then a real tight end. And, oh, by the way, we have Joe Mixon, who is still, in my opinion, a top 10 running back gets overlooked by a lot, a lot of pundits out there because he's in Cincinnati. And then let's not forget, I've been talking about their young core of de- defenders. I don't know how long, I feel like at this point in time, but Akeem Davis, a- Gaithers, 
uh, middle line or outside linebacker doing fantastic. Logan Wilson just against the Steelers had two picks by himself, eight total tackles. Or sorry, fourteen total tackles on the game. And let's not forget one of the top five safeties that I've talked about, Jesse Bates, looking absolutely fantastic. And as you mentioned, not when we were off air, their corners as they've gotten even you know they've lost guys, they have had guys step up and look good as well. Uh, this team is. It's surprising me how well they're meshing together. I was worried because of Burrow's knee. There was all those, these reports coming into camp. But right now, with this quartet of weapons and, and this defense, the Bengals, to me, look really, really nice. You kind of hit it right on the head where I was going to look at it, too, is the offseason report. If he doesn't look comfortable on his knee, he looks scared, erratic. Will he ever be the same again? Even Joe's like, yeah, it'll take me a minute to get used to it. It reminded me of before Patty's first season when he threw, like, seven interceptions in his first three practices. Everybody said, this guy's terrible. Then he comes out and wins the MVP. And that's kind of what it felt like with Joe Burrows. They're all like, oh, he doesn't look good. He's, he's shaky with his knee. He can't move anymore. He's scared anytime someone gets near it. He's moving and gunning and on fourth and one against the Vikings, checking to a pass play when you know everyone's going to be in the backfield. Against the Steelers, he gives no you-know-whats and is slinging it all over the place. It, he looks great, and he looks like he just needed to get through that first series in the regular season. And he looks really good. I mean, he obviously had a really rough stretch against the Bears. I mean, three picks and three passes. Like, that's not going to get it done. He can't do that. But – Overall, I I like what I've seen for that that Joe Burrow offense, like you mentioned as well, too, and we'll talk a little bit more about them a little bit later on, but kind of hit it right on the head. Joe Burrow has seemed to have found his groove, and I think the Steelers was the biggest one for them to get over the hump with. We'll see when they play the Browns, who they played tightly last year, but this is a whole new Browns team, and a Ravens yeah. defense, which is still pretty good. We'll, we'll see, but I feel like that Steelers win was a big one for them, considering both those games last year were ugly. And, oh, well, yeah. let me phrase that. The one with Joe Burrow was ugly. The second one, not so much because Juju got blasted by Von Miller. But for Joe Burrow, the Ravens games and the Steelers games that he played in were ugly. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll have to see, we'll have to see what they, they're able to do against the in-division in opponents here soon. But that'll come up soon. But there's one team I got to talk about for my lows that uh, we have. I think we've talked about this quarterback specifically um, many times for his, his issues. But uh, I'm going to go Russell Wilson right now. Look. If you look at his stat line, all right, I'm going to give him credit for his stat line. His stat line, it looks it looks like what you'd expect from a Russell Wilson. 73% completion rate, 895 yards, seven touchdowns, a 133.6 rating, no interceptions. Uh, but if you watch the games, I'm sorry, but where are you throwing the ball? Like, are you throwing the ball to a receiver? Or are you just throwing the ball to an empty space when there's no receiver that's open 60 yards downfield? Like, what are we doing here, Russ? Because right now, Chris Carson in their last game against the Vikings, by the way, losing to the Vikings 30-17, to losing to Kirk Cousins 30-17, to not just losing to Kirk Cousins, giving up 313 passing yards to Kirk Cousins and a Dalvin Cookless Minnesota Vikings, and you gave up 140 rushing yards. I'm going to talk more about the Seahawks defense later, uh, but right now we're on Russell Wilson right now because – Russ, we've talked about this, man. We we hit your routes, hit your open guys. Use Tyler Lockett. He is your best receiver. If Tyler Lockett is not open, well, then you can look to other people. But right now, Tyler Lockett should be your number one. By the way, where's your tight ends at? Uh, last time I saw you using a tight end, it it was a long time ago. You had one reception of Will Disley for thirty nine yards. Why is Will Disley not catching ten yard first down receptions? Why? Why is Tyler Lockett only getting four receptions for 31 total yards, but everybody else averages a 10-plus average catch? Is Tyler Lockett sitting here at 7.8? Why is he the only one running real routes? Where's everybody else at the field? Where, where, where's your entire receiving core? Why is DK only running go routes? 
Oh wait, maybe that's because all that he's good at is go routes. I'm I got uh, I could go I could turn this into a DK Metcalf complaint as well, but right now we're gonna stick with Russell and just be like, Russell, you need to do better. You are the quarterback for this franchise that you are supposed to be turning into a Super Bowl contender. And right now, you're not doing it. I'm going to add on to that, too. What we saw week one from the Seahawks against Colts was everything we wanted from them. They were moving the chains. It was move the chains offense. We saw Gerald Everett and Will Disley getting involved. We saw Tyler Lockett. Granted, he's going to get those deep bombs. That's just Tyler Lockett's game. He runs 40-yard option routes, and it works. But you can use him on drag routes, off like shorter option routes. That's sort of thing. DK post over the top, have a short hitch with him underneath. Little things like that to move the chains, then get your bombs away, plays. Not, But since that game, it's been – Effort, they're down there somewhere. It's been bombs away, Seahawks, and that's when they're at their worst. They ran the ball in week one against this. The Colts had had like 100 yards rushing. Chris Carson had a, a good game as well, too. Everything they did great in week one, they've completely evaded to since that second, starting the second half against the Titans, really. And it's come yeah. back to roost. They just they get in their own way. Yeah, I mean, really, like, like this in this last game against the Vikings, don't be wrong. Tyler Lockett actually ran some drag routes. Uh, the problem is, you didn't get it. Russell didn't throw him the ball. <laughs> he ran close to 20 drag routes in the game. Russell threw it to him four total times for 31 yards. Like, that's not going to get it done. You can't move the chains that way. Like, you can't consistently move the chains, especially when the Vikings are playing ball control and say, no, 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 my ball. This is the, most this, of the game, too. And let's be completely honest. Patrick Peterson isn't the one governing Tyler Lockett in this game. Patrick Peterson was covering DK because he's the only one fast enough on that Vikings secondary to keep up with DK. And this isn't Patrick Peterson. This is what's left of Patrick Peterson. Like this is yeah, not this the, is, this yeah, is the this... aging wonder that is Patrick Peterson. He's closer to Eric Berry in speed than he is to, to original PP. And, and that's, you know, not saying a lot, but it, he's just look, a little he, bit slower. He's not quite the same freak, which means you should be able to get got by both of these receivers in some cases, but yeah. yet here we are. Like I look, I like the look that you were looking at Gerald Everett. That's cool. But why is Will Disley not getting more completions that are under 10 yards? Why is he only getting one completion for 39 yards? There's nobody on that team that can cover both of those tight ends plus your receiving core. They're, they're, I'm sorry. like You went into Minnesota with a plan that was just throw it up at DK's down there. And this is the exact same, that ha- exact same thing that happened to him last season when they went on that streak of just failing night in and night out. And it's because they, get, they fall in love with this deep ball for Russell, and Russell just doesn't want to get out of his own way. And it's so frustrating to watch. I pit, when we did our predictions for last year, I had them going to the Super Bowl because I thought we would see move the chains and then DK gives you that over the top element where as soon as the safeties come down, you bomb over the top. I didn't think it was going to be consistently bombs away. Like we get it, you have the two, probably the best duo of deep threats in the game as far as like though each one of them is a top five deep route running receiver, arguably maybe top ten depending on how you want to break it down. That's not all they have to do. No, not at all. But I'll, like I said, I'll talk more about the Seahawks mm-hmm. defense here a little bit later. DJ, what about your next two high, highs and lows? I'm going st- to start with my high, and I'm going to kind of piggyback off of your high with the Bengals. I'm going to center in on that man, Jamar Chase. Coming into this per- out of preseason, everyone was ragging on him, saying they're concerned about his drops, four drops out of five targets, only one catch. You mentioned it's kind of harder for him to see the ball to catch it because he's used to catching the white stripe, and everyone reamed him for that. We went on this show and literally said, like, everybody relax. It's an adjustment period. He hasn't played in a year. The last time he played was catching that white ball coming from Joe Burrow with the white stripe. Then he had an entire year off and then did the offseason workouts where, sure, it's a little similar, but it's different. It's very different than trying to chase down that ball in live game action. And that's why it's actually phenomenal how Jamar Chase, Micah Parsons, Panay Sewell, these guys that sat out last year are actually looking so good early on in this year. 
Didn't look so great necessarily in the preseason, but now they're balling out now that they've got the rust off. Jamar Chase, he can go deep, as we mentioned. We saw it again week one right away, five catches, 102 yards, and a touchdown. This last week, we saw him all over the place. What was it, nine catches for 120 yards and two touchdowns? We saw it in week two a little bit, even though the Bengals as a whole struggled. He can run over the middle. He's pretty good size at about 6'1 or so, two early 200 pounds, somewhere in that area. Runs that 4'340". Before Devontae Smith broke every record last year, he broke all of those records the year before. Like, if it wasn't for Joe Burrow being his quarterback, he might have been potentially in the Heisman race or having Justin Jefferson and Thaddeus Moss and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire with him taking some of his burn, Terrace Marshall. Like, there's only some – it wasn't quite the same. It would be like if you put Devontae Smith with Judy Ruggs and all those guys. And he didn't win the Heisman that year. It wasn't until he was the only option. No one could guard him. And just and Jamar Chase was on that level. When we did our big board, I put him as the top-rated receiver as, like, I believe, the fifth overall prospect. There's six overall prospect because he is that good. And everyone overrated his catching the ball thing from the, from the preseason. And he's already showed he's the best rookie receiver right now. He would have been the best rookie receiver last year if he came out over Jerry Judy, Chase Claypool, and all those guys. Maybe even the year before. You could, depending on however you want to go about that. And I'm just, I'm not going to spend too much time on it because we kind of talked about it already. But I do want to add in what's crazy to think about is during two years, not this last year, but the year before when all those receivers went in the first round, Ruggs, Judy, and all those guys. T. Higgins and Michael Pittman slipped to the second round, but were considered first-round prospects. They were the first two picks in the second round. Imagine if one of those two guys took Justin Jefferson's spot in the first round and Jefferson slipped to that first pick in the second round of the Bengals. You could have had Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, and Joe Burrow on the same team, which is blasphemous to think about now. But at the time, T. Higgins was considered as good, if not better, of a prospect than Justin Jefferson because he was getting ragged on during the process as well, too. A lot of people were saying, oh, he can only do this, he can only do that. Now he's a he's absolutely fantastic, and Jamar Chase is well on his way too. Every corner in that draft, Trayvon Diggs, all of them, C.J. Henderson, Jeff Yukota, they all said, "Who's the receiver that gave you the most trouble?" They all looked and said, "That man, Jamar Chase," and he is showing it in the NFL right now. He is 21 years old, and he is a grown man out there. So, bravo to Jamar Chase for making all the doubters look absolutely ridiculous. Literally 12 quarters into your NFL career. Yeah, definitely. Look, it's I I I I think Jamar Chase is going to be. Something fun to watch for for a long time coming. I think sure. he's got an all-pro in his future at some point, too. I don't know what mm-hmm. year it is. I don't know how long it'll take. It might not be anytime soon because there's the Devontae Adams and guys like that in the way. But if him and Joe Burrow are going to stick around for a while, he's going to make at least one all-pro team and several Pro Bowls. It's just all the makings are in for it as well, too. And then you'll have T. Higgins and other guys to take a little pressure off him. So they have all the talk about them should have taken Panay Sewell, as great as Panay Sewell has actually been in Detroit, Jamar Chase is saying, like, hey, I'm pretty good in my own right, too. Yeah, and they, they, they've been proven right so far, that one. And for my lows, we're going to do someone that has not been so great in their own right since their rookie campaign as a head coach, and that is Matt Nagy of the Bears. And my goodness, that Browns game was absolutely painful. Like, don't get me wrong. There's only so much you could do when you have Miles Garrett on the other side. But really, you did him absolutely no favors, Matt Nagy. Either that was putrid game planning or that was intentionally setting up Justin Fields to fail miserably. And we know he's not the biggest Justin Fields guy, or at least he keeps acting like he's not every time they talk about it, saying, I don't know, maybe it'll be Nick Foles this week. Maybe it'll be Andy Dalton. He's our guy, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, we wanted Justin Fields to sit a little bit, just like we wanted Trey Lance to sit. I wanted Zach Wilson to sit too, but that wasn't an option for the Jets. He had to go out there and, well, we see what's happening. And you wanted Justin Fields to sit a little bit longer. But that's not how the cards played out, and you did nothing to help him. Very few limit quarterback design runs. Very few, nothing to get the ball in his hands. You're leaving 85-year-old Jason Peters with his shot knees after getting 15 surgeries over the last few years, guarding Miles Garrett one-on-one. 
you are leaving whoever the right tackle is. I can't, Effetti, I don't even remember who it is, who got yeah, jettisoned. Effetti. He got jettisoned from Seattle, who is known for not protecting Russell Wilson, to guard Jadavian Clowney one-on-one. There's You got nobody guarding up the middle. It's You put Justin Fields in a no-win position. The fact that he even scored any points with this team, even the fact that he got net one-yard passing through all those sacks is nothing short of a miracle. You got that man absolutely destroyed, and he runs a 4-4-40 to get away from it. But there's not a whole lot he could do about it. You had no screens, nothing quick, nothing to help him out, no run game. Like, they did not help David Montgomery. I didn't see hardly any Justin Fields design runs. I That was putrid. And Matt Nagy, honestly, I'm not going to say he should be fired because I don't like to call for people's jobs in this situation, but he should never call another play again for the Bears. I know they're – and right now, even when they say about play calling duties, he's like, well, we're not going to say anything. You're not secretive. You're not James Bond. You're not tricking anybody. You're not a genius. You're not the smartest guy in the room. And you're the only guy in the room. Let somebody else call the plays. It's the best thing that could happen for you right now. You, if you don't want Justin Fields, too bad that that's who you're stuck with. You have to find a way to make it work. This is this is the card you were dealt. You just have to make it work somehow. And you're doing absolutely no favors. And I, he, I don't see how he survives the season. We both had the Bears sneaking into the playoffs because Justin Fields saves him down the stretch. I don't know if that's even possible. I am sorry, Mitch Trubisky. It might not have been your fault. I mean, there yeah. are some there are some holes in his own game, and I know everyone else has already jumped on this bandwagon. That's the downside of us only coming on once a week. But I'm sorry, Mr. Trubisky, you might have not been all at fault whatsoever as well. Too, you've been you were going uphill this entire time. And for Justin Fields' sake, I hope they get him out, get Nagy out of there, and bring in Eric Bieniemy or someone like that, just someone that could groom his skill set because Nagy has done him absolutely no favors, and it showed last year. Mitch Trubisky struggles for one half against Atlanta. Nick Foles comes and saves the day. We see Nick Foles go one and six in the next seven games before we see Mitch again. You almost lost your entire season after starting four and one because you refused to go back to Mitch. So there's something, there's something weird in there. And since Matt Nagy got coached the year his rookie year, which he shouldn't have got, it should have went to Frank Reich in the Colts that year. But I digress. They that he's been an absolute mess. It's been a, and I can't believe I'm saying that considering he's made the playoffs twice technically. But the amount of games yeah. they have not been competitive in, that can't happen, especially when you got a young quarterback like Justin Fields, who you and I are both incredibly high on. He could be the next Justin Herbert if he was went to a team that wasn't such a mess. So getting Matt Nagy out of there, that is my lowest of lows this week. That is the lowest I've had on lows probably this entire season. Well, I, I understand it, though. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, look, to go before, to my high, I'm actually going to – Before you oh, – sorry, I don't mean to cut oh, you off. I want to add this in there for anyone else before they try and jump on it. Some of that is Justin Fields' fault, yes. He does hold the ball. He needs to read the ball quicker, get the ball his hands a little bit quicker. There's only so much you can do when Miles Garrett starts to play around your back. Like, my like, goodness. Uh, and to be fair, Miles Garrett, I think he uh, unlocked instant teleportation in the last game with some of the moves he pulled. Uh, there was a, there was, there's one play that I keep seeing on replay that it looks like he glitches through the matrix while everybody else is moving normal speed. He takes a huge jump step from his right plant foot, which is to the inside or, or to the outside shoulder of the inside guard. And he's actually middle with the tackle with his right plant foot. And he is actually inside of the center with his next step on the left foot. And it just doesn't make sense physically how he can do it. And you're like, oh, yeah, Miles Garrett is also built like a dinosaur where he can reach 10 feet with one step. So it's like that's how he broke the, the matrix. But it's uh, look, fantastic. to be honest, I, I made the we made the tweet about Gerald Fetty, uh trying to guard Jordanian Clowney at one point in time. He was literally going backwards. His arms were straight out trying to block a Pro Bowl player, <laughs> a guy who is known for getting getting a speed rush off, and he's trying to do it backing up with his arms straight out. There's no give and take with that. It was it was the ugliest blocking I think I've seen from a professional 
lineman in my entire life. All right, let's so. get off of this topic because I think we're both about to get sick just thinking about it as well, too, especially <laughs> the offensive lineman. And you, all right, let's get to your high, your last high, and your last low. 100%. So, uh, Justin Herbert is my my high. Well, not just Justin Herbert, of the entire Chargers team, but Justin Herbert specifically. You mentioned Justin Fields being the next Justin Herbert. And right now, can you have a better opportunity for a young quarterback than what Justin Herbert is? Last game, 281 yards, four touchdowns. Four. Count them. Not one, not two, not three, but four. To go with that, he didn't just target one receiver for these touchdowns. No, he hit Mike Williams twice. Twice. All right, Mike Williams. Let's not forget Mike Williams had a fantastic career at Clemson. All right, he is the reason why I don't like Clemson because of what he did against Notre Dame. Also because of what Hunter Renfro did, but I have some respect for Hunter Renfro because he's just underrated. And then Keenan Allen, eight receptions for 50 yards and a touchdown. But eight receptions. Like, (laughs) feed the man. Austin Eckler himself had six receptions. By the way, if you guys didn't listen to DJ earlier in the season, when he talked about guys to get for a PPR league and he mentioned Austin Eckler a thousand times over, you really should have because, yeah, look, Austin Eckler had 11 carries for 55 yards, six receptions for 52 yards, and that one receiving touchdown as well. Uh, Yeah, you guys are messing up. On top of that, he also hit Jared Cook, Donald Parham, his backup two tight ends, Gabe Neighbors, his freaking fullback he had, he hit twice for for first downs. Like, he's not just doing it to one guy. And here's here's the crazy thing. Their number one wide receiver draft pick, Jalen Guyton, didn't even throw him the ball. <laughs> he didn't have any receptions this game. He didn't need to take the top off, but he just secretly has a guy that can just kill everything and take the top off at any point in time in Jalen Guyton that he just hadn't thrown the ball to yet, really. He was, to get, he get was the deep threat last year, too. All those Justin Herberts, just he down there somewhere throwing it while getting destroyed against the Buccaneers off of his back foot 50 yards. It was always Guyton at the back end of it. He's the guy that really takes the top off. He's the one with that second gear. And I, we predicted the Chargers. I predicted them they were my island pick this week. The Chargers would beat the Chiefs this week. Yeah. We talked about, like, I, the Chargers would split with the Chiefs. Like, we talked about this whole thing. Like, I had them as my secret team this year. This is what I anticipated. I didn't even see it coming like this. Patrick Mahomes was in his bag as well for most of that game, and Herbert went head-to-head with him. First of all, I need to make a make a make an announcement. I have to apologize to anybody that I uh, I, I I swerved on in our, in our fourth and four picks because – you guys remember in our preseason picks, I did have the Chargers taking both games from the Chiefs this season, um, and yeah, I swerved on that this 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 week with uh, the Chargers losing to the Chiefs because I honestly didn't think they would lose back to back games in September because Patty doesn't lose games in September. Turns out he lost two this week, but and that's char- why I have the Chargers as a high is because it was that defense that really helped make that game possible. Asante Samuel Jr. had a pick, by the way, just a nice little rookie addition to that defense. Alohi Gilman also with a pick himself. Kaiser White with a sack, and Joey Bosa got a half a sack. I don't know why they didn't give him the full sack, to be honest with you. He he did 90% of that work. He spun that like, right tackle in a turnstile. <laughs> yeah, like Drew, Drew Tranquil literally got the, the shoelace of Patty Mahomes right there, and he's like, yeah, I got a half a sack too. <laughs> Good job, Bosa. High five. But that brings me to Drew Tranquil. We talked about him as a speedy middle linebacker. He is a very effective fast coverage guy, and you saw it against this Chiefs team and help, able to help dissuade a lot of the weapons that is uh that the chiefs have for sure so that's why they're my high uh this Chargers team is is something to be reckoned with right now and it's it's a whole lot of fun to watch right i don't i don't think there's any question about that and if you guys haven't seen a chargers game this might be the one time to to start watching chargers games and if uh 
they might be the reason they well heck actually I can't say that because the Rams this year are undefeated too. I'll say this might be the one time that that the Chargers might out outpace the uh, Rams in ticket sales, but I can't lie to you guys like that. Who knows? Maybe they both somehow end up in a Super Bowl and we get to see them go head to head. That would be something now too. In SoFi Stadium, oh man, yeah. So from that to my low, and this one's gonna go straight to the Monday night game that we just called on Colorcast. Them Eagles. And the reason why the Eagles are my low isn't because of Jalen Hurts. I could literally pick on Jalen Hurts right now, but I'm not going to. I'm picking on this play calling. The play calling from the Eagles was atrocious. I counted three rushing plays in the first half. They ended the game, by by the way, they ended the game with 29 rushing attempts. 26 of those rushing attempts came in the second half on read option RPO type of situations and not on just straight-up handoffs. Like, this, is, it was awful play calling from the Eagles. You had three rushes in the first half. One went from negative yards – or two went from negative yards from, from Jalen. He ended up with, I think it was plus one after the first half. And then one from Sanders for 24 yards, 26 yards. And you just didn't go back to it until it was the game was iced out and you're just, at that point in time, killing time in the fourth quarter. It was absolutely atrocious from the Eagles. And, and you know what? I You got to do better. Uh, Nick Sirianni, whatever – Whatever game plans or formations or planograms or whatever you called them before you before the the game when you had your beat the beat Cowboys or beat Dallas T-shirt on, uh, you you messed up because you forgot to implement them because there were no easy to read play calls or anything like that that you gave Jalen Hurts and this this offense because uh, it was it was ugly and now Jalen Hurts is not without fault he himself needs to learn how to look off corners. Look, you, you, we talked about it during the color cast. You, you have Trayvon Diggs, who has seen you in practice a thousand-plus million times throw the exact routes to Devontae Smith you threw to him tonight. You don't think Trayvon Diggs knows when you're throwing a quick out? Like, really? Really? Especially when you stare at him from the moment you say hike, and then he falls, and the ball's a little bit behind him, too? Like, that's just all recipe for Trayvon Diggs to just be like, bye, I'm taking this one to the house. And that's exactly what he did. And so Jalen Hurst needs to be better as well, but really – this one starts in my eyes and ends with the coaching staff. Uh, I just, the Eagles coaching staff just has to get better, period. We didn't have very high expectations for the Eagles this year. Neither one of us did. And that Monday night kind of summarized a lot of why. I mean, I know week one with what they did at Atlanta was like, oh, maybe we were wrong. No, not really. It looks like we were pretty dead on if this is going to be indicative of the season. So we have a lot to see moving forward as well. Absolutely. All right, DJ, your last final highs and lows. Where are they at? We're going to start with the lows and we're going to go with the coat. We're going to, Nick Sirianni's former team. We're going to look at the Colts, a team. Once again, it feels like every week, considering we had such high expectations for him to be a top three, four seed in the AFC, a true contender for the Super Bowl. I think we had them both. You had him as a number one seed. I had him in make winning a playoff game. They lost. They lose again to the Titans. They barely get in the end zone. They had first and goal when they were only down by three and they missed three passes like, or they were down by seven. They got three off of it. Carson misses one wide. Pascal drops one. Jonathan Jonathan Taylor's a stud, but he can't seem to get going. The offensive line's in shambles. Quinn Nelson's probably not playing this week. Braden Smith hasn't really played all season because he looked bad in week one, so he hasn't played all season. He's been out now. Eric Fisher's coming off a torn Achilles. That looks That's weird how that's even playing right now, but I digress. I mean, Marlon Mack, we a former 1,000-yard rusher, is not even getting the ball. He's played for a half, basically. Now he's on the trade block. You're looking to trade him. You're going to get like a fifth round pick for him. Maybe you're not going to get anything worth value for him. Naeem Hines is a bright spot in short spurts, but you can't give him the ball all the time. Paris Campbell's not Carson looks okay. I mean, honestly, not terrible, but not great. He's not turning the ball over a lot. He just 
he he holds the ball too long. He's a little bit slow to read, and he wants to make a big play all the time. Like he's got to work on that. And the defense, where are they at though? Like my goodness, where are they where are they at though? Like they had some big plays, some takeaways on, but they couldn't capitalize on them. Honestly, we had this team. I think this is going to be our big whiff this year too. Is both of us thinking this team's not just going to be really good? I think them even making the playoffs. It's not over yet because there's still 14 games to go, which is crazy to think about. There's still 14 because I'm still getting used to the 17 game schedule, Tom Foolery. But like, it's all but over for this team. They're lucky they're in the AFC South where there's another 0 and 3 team and the division leaders one and two. Like that, so it's not really over yet. Or sorry, two and one. The Titans did. Sorry, two and one. The Titans have played. Did have beat the Seahawks in the second half? I forgot about that. But it's it's not looking good if you're the Colts, and it's all but over. They got to figure this out quick, fast, in a hurry. And it looks like they're gonna have to do it against Miami, missing Tua, but Jacoby, the return of Jacoby, and a team that almost just beat the Raiders. And now you got to do it too without Quentin Nelson. It looks like and a completely banged up team. We talked about maybe looking at some of the training staffs. Teams should start considering doing that. Now that might be the first place to start. Let's do the case study with the Colts, and we'll have in season hard knocks come up. Maybe we can see what does this health health and training staff do. It's like, eh. Throw some dirt on it. It's fine. But, sir, my ankle's poking out that way. Nah, it's cool. Like, we're going to see something with this team. It's going to be – it looks like the hard knocks curse is going to curse this team real bad midseason. Yeah, it is it is definitely not pretty over there uh, whatsoever for Indy. And I, I think you're right. This might be the team that, that we miss out on uh, with our pick them. And, and, look, we are, there's always one every year, uh, you know, whether it's the injuries or just fluke incidences. There's always going to be one. But, yeah, um, I do think the Colts is, is going to be it. So what's your high then? Uh, for my final high, we're going to go back to the return of the Bills. After a miserable week one and even a rough week two a little bit too where they had their moments, they were back against Washington in full force. Josh Allen with five touchdowns. Cole Beasley getting involved. Mike Davis, Stephon Diggs, Devin Singletary. We're seeing them actually run the ball a little bit on occasion, something we've been begging for. The offensive line looks good. And the defense. It's a defense again. Like they during the, Josh Allen's first three years, they were a defensive team that struggled to score points. Last year, they were aired out for 30 points a game. Now they're starting to blend them both together and look like that team that you predicted would win the Super Bowl. So I have the Bills starting to bounce back and actually look like Kelsey's Bills, as we're going to call them right now, and Josh Allen returning to form. Yeah, no, I love the Bills pick. So I'm going to go with my high-low, and I'm going to keep it pretty quick and simple. Um, so the, obviously the low, I was talking about the Seahawks defense at nauseum before, and I said I'd get back to them. Well, that's because that, that's the, they're my third low, uh, the Seahawks defense, because they are just absolutely terrible. You give up again 171 total yards to alexander madison who filled in for a hurt dalvin cook you let kurt cousins go 30 of 38 on you throw for 323 yards and three touchdowns what you only got one sack on him what you only had four pressures on him total i'm sorry what where's that defense at that was just happening uh tyler conklin the backup backup tight end for the minnesota vikings seven yards seven receptions 70 yards um also had a touchdown Adam Thielen also had a touchdown. Uh, Jefferson had 118 and a touchdown. So, yeah, there's plain and simple. It's not Jamal Adams and it's not Bobby Wagner. There is nobody doing anything for your team whatsoever if you're the Seahawks defense, and that needs to change. Where's Carlos Dunlap? Where is Kim Dietschy? Where is Andre Diggs? anybody? Pro Bowler yeah. Andre Diggs, where you at? Yeah, where's Barton? Where's Amadi? Where's Taylor, Brooks, Flowers? Any, any one of you guys, Puna Ford? Where are you at? Aldrick Robinson, where are you at? Like, I need something. Which, by the way, I say I say Robinson, but he did have two tackles for loss. So, he was probably their only other bright spot, not named Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams. But and that's Jamal Adams, safe. you're a safe, you're the highest paid safety in the game. You you got you to gotta get a pass breakup or something. Like, you, you got to get something. You can't just be a tackling and blitzing machine. You, you got to get, like, a knockdown or something. 
Exactly. So I'm just going to leave it at that and just say the Seahawks defense needs to get better. And from that, I'm going to go to the positive, the high, and I'm going to start this one and end this one with a Las Vegas Raider, and that is Derek Carr. And, oh, my God, uh, MVP Carr is back. 1,203 passing yards so far this season, six touchdowns. He does have two picks. I don't look at those picks as bad picks. Those two picks have been tip picks. Like, he is just throwing it at his receiver, and his receiver's like, oh, no, what do I do with this? I haven't seen this ball before. Well, that's because it's a 100-mile-per-hour rifle at your face. Um, not very many people see that. He does have a 65, almost 65% completion rate, 101.4 QBR, looking fantastic. And literally he is unstoppable for us right now when it's, when it's to leading comebacks. He, he led two comebacks uh, in this, this last game to go along with his two comebacks in the Ravens game and his one comeback against the Steelers. Well, not really a comeback against the Steelers. He, they just blew the doors off against the Steelers. But that's not the point. <laughs> the point is Derek Carr right now, is absolutely fantastic. And I may get him confused with David occasionally, but you know what? I do it out of love uh, because because Derek Carr just, you know, I feel so like he needs to do so much better sometimes. And and he's proven me right right now, and he is absolutely performing out of his mind. He is throwing it to everybody. Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, absolutely lighting it up. Henry Ruggs, uh, insert receiver here that they throw out there, is getting burned. There was eight receivers, nine receivers on the last game that had a reception. Um, and also, I just want to throw a shout-out to Dan Carlson. 29 straight field goals. Uh, made for the man so congratulations to him on that uh but yeah so that does it for our highs and lows and that takes us into everybody's favorite session the crunch time dj what do you got for us on crunch time i'm gonna keep mine quick and simple i'm looking at the nba's vaccination policy in new york and san francisco basically it's more or less the city i should say not but with nba players not being allowed to even play in home games in those two places or away games or just play in those two cities without being vaccinated or proof of vaccination and the nba saying yeah, you're right, and you're not getting paid for it, doubling down on it. I get this. I We're, pro, we're as pro-vaccination as it gets, you and I both. Like, we both were vaccinated as soon as we were able to, and we think everybody should. We think those who say I need to do my own research sound kind of ridiculous because most of the time it sounds like they're Facebook scrolling while taking a poop, and that's not really – that's not how it works. But you can't – It sounds like I'll get to it later because I'm in the bathroom. Yeah, you're exactly. exactly. Right. Like, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm researching while I'm scrolling Facebook. I'm like, oh, wow, is that real from some post from some random bot or something like that? It's absolutely – anyway, I digress on that. At this point, it seems very ridiculous that you're mandating and withholding money at the same time, too. Like, I get it. I still – Andrew Wiggins, a prime example, playing for the Warriors. At this rate, he won't be able to play a home game. Same with Kyrie with Brooklyn as well, too. I get it, and it's at the same time, it's on you. Like, it's your choice, but – and the repercussions, but I hate that the NBA is doubling down. I wish there was, I wish there was a middle ground. Cause I don't want to, I just go make your own choice, your body, your choice on all accounts, in my opinion, like it, no man, no law should mandate anything with that sort of way. But yikes, I just, I don't, I don't like how this is looking. I feel like this NBA season is going to get real messy real quick. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I, I definitely think this needs to be up to player choice to some degree. Um, but at the same time, you're a professional. So like, uh, you're getting paid millions and millions of dollars to do a job and your contract stipulates this. Like this is a tough situation because it's like your contract stipulates something and as a good employee, you want to follow your contract. Right. But then at the same time, this is something that you're is, is determined by your body and your own personal choice. So it's like, yeah, I'm, hmm. I'm of the mindset of they're professionals, but at the same time, I'm right there with you. We're like, yeah, look, I don't care what you do. It is your body. You do you. Um, I'm not here to tell you what to do. So. That's that's my opinion. I, I do think you're right, though. It is going to get really messy, really dirty, really fast uh, with these these rules and, and laws in place. So um, very Good interesting. Everybody that, else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very interesting to follow. 
And then some some other news out there. Uh, obviously, as you guys may have noticed on Twitter or other words, uh, social, social media, ESPN themselves, Katie Nolan is no longer with ESPN. Um, so we just want to officially, formally announce that Katie Nolan has an open-ended, non-expiration date listed free pass to join us on this podcast at any point in time. Whenever she deems necessary, she is obviously taking a break to figure out what her next step is going to be. But, Katie, if you ever come across our podcast and you hear this, let us let us know if you're ever interested in joining the podcast because we would love to have you on. Because, literally, what Katie Nolan has done for sports entertainment opened the door for us to do a lot of these podcasting situations. And people don't realize exactly how influential she has been on the sports – really, sports – landscape when it comes to reporting sports she did it her own way and she has turned it and made it available that you can report sports in your own way as well like we're able to do here on on high low sports so um it is uh just something that we all wanted wanted to formally say even though it's probably not necessary to say it. everybody understands that they we they know uh my love affair for for katie nolan's um work at this point in time so it wouldn't surprise anybody that i would say that but you know that's that's that is my crunch time announcement that we have an open-ended announcement for Katie Nolan. And by the way, Katie, we do have dogs that make appearances on our podcast. So and they do make really picks to too. Dogs. And they do make yeah. picks as you can see on Twitter as well too. So I mean, just saying, like just saying, they're they're competent dogs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, okay, Hershey's zero two right now, so I won't know about confidence. Um, but she more, tries. So he's not doing much better. Yeah, she she tries really hard. <laughs> um, that's that's the important thing. But guys, that'll do it for us tonight. As always, we appreciate everybody tuning in. If you guys are checking this out on unhinged radio brought to you by or powered by belly up sports be sure to stay tuned for craft brood sports coming up right after us and if you guys are listening on your favorite podcast platform go check out any episodes you have you haven't seen yet and if you have anything any gripes or any complaints to say with us well just let us know in our dms on social media and we'll get those as soon as possible and be sure to check out thursday night picks by hershey and brew coming up later on tonight once this is released so guys we will see you next time and as always see ya Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.